So we're continuing in this series, Come In and Seeing. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Jesus' first miracle, which was turning the water into wine. really ticked my grandmother off. And my grandmother was a teetotaler. And, uh, and you know, she just thinks you shouldn't be drinking anything. And we go, but grandmother, but grand, Jesus turned the water into wine. Doesn't that mean it's okay? And she goes, why? I don't know why he had to do that. Well, that was a different time, Grand. That's what they did. Well, that's not the time we're in now. <sighs> Grand, we're never going to win this, are we? No, we're not. No. Uh, so as we come into this, I want to remind you just a little bit. Uh, reaching back a little bit, I want to remind you of this, this thing that when Mary is talking about the miracle that's happened in her life, where she makes this statement, you know, I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I want you to hold on to that in your mind and in your heart as we move through these. Because today we're talking about sharing and this was her sharing of what happened in her life. Today we're going to be talking more about a little different kind of part of the story. Now before I get into that, there's, there's kind of an intro to the video uh, episode this week, which is the story of Jesus in the temple when he's a young man. And I, I like the way they, they bring the conclusion to that in the video because it, it, it kind of gives you some feel for the fact that you know, this was a real family. You know, his parents really did care about him. They really were proud of him. They really loved him. And, and you see a little reflection of this when you have this reunion that takes place when uh, Joseph has finally found Jesus in the temple. He looked everywhere day and night. We were so scared. I told him. He's okay. Why is everyone so upset? Mary, he was in there. You were supposed to be riding in the caravan with Uncle Abaita. I was supposed to be with my father. Then why weren't you? I was. You were in the temple? It was incredible, Mary. You should have seen him. He was teaching when I found him. The rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, they could not believe their ears. I like one of the things that comes through this week, and I like this little episode to introduce us, is the, the fact that these are, you know, these are real relationships. Mary was his mother, Joseph was his father. There's this love and, and, and pride uh, in him as he's growing up that, that sometimes we lose in our uh, reading of the story, but it plays importantly into this, this first miracle. Uh, that he performs at Cana. So just kind of want you to see that, remember that, that connection, you know, where, you know, Joseph's obviously proud of him and, and, and talking about who he is, and, and Mary is stunned at what he does. And just remember that these, these were real people uh, with real relationships and real feelings and real love involved in all of this. Let's pray as we begin the morning. Almighty God, we thank you that uh, in the midst of this frigid week, you've given us sunshine today and dry streets, and we are here, uh, able to be with you uh, in worship, whether we're in the room or whether we're at home, we're gathered in your presence. So let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So John tells the story this way. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, 
Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. When we read through this story, sometimes it's really easy for us to kind of just distill it down to a simple story. First off, you've got to remember, this is in the Gospel of John. Nothing in the Gospel of John is as simple as it seems. There's always several layers of meaning going on in the story. And, you know, when we went to Cana, when we were in Israel, as many of you did, uh, Cindy and I got to go there and, and got to renew our wedding vows in our place, which is what happens a lot. Some of you may have done that when you were there. Uh, and, and that's what we tend to focus on. But I want today, I want you to see the bigger uh, depth of this story, the, the greater meaning of it. Uh, because John starts off by telling us, on the third day, what else happens on the third day in the Gospels? Do you know? <laughs> what happens on the third day? Resurrection. Yeah. So, you know, John wants you to understand this is actually a resurrection story. This points to the resurrection at the end of the gospel. This, the first of his miracles, the first through which he revealed his glory. It's not just a simple thing. This is, there's more here than just water becoming wine. This is on the third day. This is the beginning of the resurrection story. And it begins in this village where they've been invited. Now, now Jesus and his mother and the disciples have been invited. Who do you invite to come to weddings? Your friends, your family, the people you love, right? I mean, unless it's one big hoity-toity society wedding, you know, or something. But, but most of the time, these are people that you love. So it, it's only natural to assume that whoever the family was here, that, that they knew Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and, and, and they invited his disciples with him. They were being gracious in their hospitality. But these are people they know, people that they have a relationship with. And as the disciples are following Jesus down the road in the video and they're, they're walking to this village, Peter, being Peter, is thinking, wow, this is an opportunity to do something really amazing. He says, Jesus, this is going to be awesome. Who, who, are we going to have a lot of important people here? Uh, you know, who's been invited? Because that's Peter, right? And I love what Jesus says to him uh, at that point. He says, you know, the most important person I know will be there, my mother. All right, mothers, pat yourself on the back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I love it that, that he recognizes that. Because, you know, when you read through the Gospels, Mary's a constant thread. She's there in all those stories. And she's the one who will be there at the end of the crucifixion. And she's here at the first miracle as well. She's always present. So this wedding has begun. Uh, and, and you have to remember that, uh, unlike us, you know, these are, these are like three-day affairs. You know, our weddings go, you know, three, four hours maybe with everything. But, you know, they're, they're, these are three-day events. 
And, and it's really important for you to extend hospitality to all of your guests. And this family is trying to be as hospitable as possible, but they're of limited means. And so they, they've actually kind of over-promised a little bit on what they're going to do. I don't know if any of y'all ever done a wedding like that, you know, where you start off and you think it's going to cost this much, and then it costs this much, and then it costs this much, and then it costs this much, Right? Uh, and I, I remember having a, a, this wonderful conversation one time when we were talking about one of the, our family weddings, and my daughter is going, well, you know, you can't really have a good wedding for less than $50,000. And I'm going, <coughs> right? <laughs> I'm going, oh, oh, yeah, your mom and I did it for like 1000 bucks when we got married, you know. So, yeah, yeah you can. But, but you know, you, you tend to overpromise. And so the, the family has basically told the caterers, we're going to have 40 people here. <laughs> but then the crowd has grown. And, and they're having this kind of moment of panic when they realize, oh, we are in way over our heads. Jonas. In a moment. Jonas. Okay. Okay. Am I going mad, or has 40 been the magic number all along? The head count? Why? Are we over? They always do this. I brought food enough for more. The last count was 80. You made a mistake. Maybe by a few. Even if I'm off by five, the wine. I did advocate for a fourth. But three is, is still enough. Four or 60. <laughs> we have 80. We have enough for 60. We were supposed to have 40, but there's, there's 80-something people here. We are, we are in deep stuff here. You know, we're in trouble. And, and so you have this kind of setup of this situation where the family, the friends of Jesus, potentially are going to be horribly embarrassed. This is a major social faux pas, that they don't have enough wine to get through this event. And, and, and this is a, a, an important part, not just of the social side of it, but of the ritual side of this wedding. And so this is, it, it's more than simply an inconvenience. This is something that actually can kind of bring everything to a screeching halt. And, and, and into that, uh, you know, Mary, who is, again, these are friends. Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to him and says, you can do something about this. Now, in the scripture, Mary, Jesus' response back to her is, he says, woman, why are you asking me to do this? Woman, what has this got to do with me? And I don't know, when I was growing up, I always heard that as kind of harsh, right? I mean, if I had gone to my mother and said, woman, the beatings would have begun, right? It would not have been good. It would not have been good. But one of my friends who, who knows the language better than me, he said, you know, you really need to understand that that term doesn't carry the kind of connotation it does when we use it in English, where, you know, it sounds harsh if you spoke to your mother that way. It's actually a, a fairly tender kind of form of address. And there's only two places that Jesus talks to his mother like this. And one is here. Where's the other one? At the cross. When he's putting her into John's care. This is a word of tenderness and a word of love. It's not harsh. He's speaking to her in love. And that kind of reoriented my whole understanding of what was going on in this. And so they've kind of captured this, this little next little vignette where Mary comes to Jesus and asks him to do something about this problem. 
And you'll get an, a little bit of an idea here, too, of the fact that this is, this is a party, this wedding. This is not a somber occasion. This is a party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sons of Jonah! We were just looking for you. They're dancing to the song of Miriam, and we thought you wouldn't want to miss it. Of course. Let's the three of us show them how it's done, huh? I don't think that's such a good idea. Why? Andrew has four left feet. Four? Why four? When he tries to dance, he looks like a donkey walking on hot coals. <laughs> oh, Andrew, do you deny it? I've never seen a donkey walking on hot coals. Actually, that would be a terrible thing to behold. My son. Ah, Andrew, you see, even my own mother will join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day? Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. something you really don't want to do you really don't want to put the effort I mean it's just really inconvenient it's just not the right timing but somebody you love whether it's your your mother or your father or your kids your grandkids somebody you love goes please and you go okay right we've all I just love that little interaction right there where you see that that scene where in her tenderness she brings him something that he really isn't prepared to do just yet but he does it because of love for her And what that does is it opens the door. Because once this starts, he knows there's no closing that door. People are going to know. People are going to talk. Word's going to go out. And this is the beginning of the road that's going to take him to the cross. But in love, he goes, okay. And, and, and so the, they gather the jars and, and they fill them with water at his request. You'll notice he says the six ceremonial jars. Now, now in this time, you know, they have different kinds of jars for different purposes. The ones that are made of clay, which are, are oftentimes what's used for most storage, would absorb things from whatever was stored in them. And so they could become ritually, ceremonially unclean for use for purification. So the jars of purification are carved from stone because they won't absorb any impurities unless they remain clean and can hold the water for the purification rites. And it's those jars to which Jesus says, go fill these with water, 20 to 30 gallons each. It's about 120, 180 gallons of wine. Do you think that's enough? <laughs> I asked, Cindy was here last night, and I said, do we have that much in our house? And she said, probably. 
oh, okay, maybe we need to scale back a little here. But, but, but you know, he, he's got these jars that, that they're going to use because they are ceremonially clean. They can't be made impure. And so these stone jars are what the water will be placed in that will become wine. And it's a stone tomb that Jesus' body is placed in and that is covered with another stone before the resurrection. You're supposed to hear the connection. You're supposed to hear the connection that something amazing is getting ready to happen. Because John, in looking back on this story from the viewpoint of the resurrection when he's writing, understands all of a sudden, wait a minute. When he did that, he was pointing to this. That the jars point to the tomb and to the resurrection. And so they fill them with water and, and Jesus prays over them. And of course, they, are, they become wine. And then he has some of it taken to the master of the feast, the banquet master. Now, the servants at this point are the only ones that realize what's going on. But pretty soon, everyone's going to because it's going to get lifted up that suddenly we have this amazing wine in the midst of the party. Stop the music. Stop the music. Everyone, listen, I have something I would like to say. I would like to address the bridegroom and the bride families. At every wedding I've ever overseen, they serve the best wine first. And then, when the people have drunk freely, much later in the feast, they serve the poorer wine, the cheap stuff. <laughs> because by then, who is going to notice? <laughs> Am I right? But you, you have chosen now to serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. So he lifts up and, and, and raises that up for everyone to be aware of that now the best wine has been brought out. And you can just imagine the buzz that begins to go as the servants talk to each other and people talk about how this has happened. That they brought out the good wine now. Now, I've been at a lot of weddings, probably a lot more than many of you have been at. And I'm going to tell you, this whole thing about serving the good stuff first and the cheap stuff later, that's the way it's done. That's the, even now, that's the accepted practice. But at this wedding, instead of the good stuff coming out first, the good stuff is saved for last. The best wine. And where else do we hear wine having that kind of importance? It's when Jesus is at the table with his disciples, right? This is, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the new covenant. It's poured out of my blood. Drink this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And, and, and all of John's readers would have went, oh. Even, even beforehand, he's, he's already signaling what's going to happen. That his blood's going to be poured out and that it's going to be what gives forgiveness to us. It's the best wine ever. Because, you know, other wine, you can drink and forget about your problems for a while. But, you know, when you wake up with that hangover, they're still there, aren't they? And, and, and this wine, this wine makes everything new. It's the best wine ever. 
And they bring it out and they share it. And there's a celebration. It's a wonderful party because you don't bring wine to a wedding not to share, right? That's what it's there for. You're going to share it with everybody. It's supposed to be a celebration. And we sometimes forget that, that in this story, there's this little thread in there. Remember, one of the things that Paul talks about, that Jesus talks about, that's going to appear in the Revelation, is that Jesus is the groom and the bride is the church. When Jesus and his people come together, it's a wedding party. This is what it is. It's a celebration. And the wine, the grace, and the forgiveness is to be shared widely and joyfully. I mean, even before Jesus shows up, God is telling his people that they're supposed to share. They're supposed to be witnesses to share the amazing things that God has done. You go back in the, into the Old Testament, right? The Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and God, Israel to himself. I am honored in the eyes of the Lord of my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Even in the time of the exile, God is speaking this to his people through his prophet Isaiah. You're to be a light, a witness. This is, you're to take this wonderful news out and share it. There's a great scene in, in the wedding party where they're sitting around the table, the disciples, and they're kind of talking about, well, how are we ever going to figure out how to do this stuff that Jesus is doing? And, and you know, how are we going to learn how to do all this stuff? Because they haven't quite caught on yet. And, and, and Peter says, well, you know, you remember when we started fishing, how we learned to fish. You know, we, we got with our father. He took us out on the boat. And, you know, we, we sat and watched until we became fishermen. And that's what they thought. Except that Jesus had one more surprise for them, right? He had one more surprise for them. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the, when the Spirit comes on you. You're, you're not going to have to just figure this out on your own. I'm going to pour this out on you. Joy, forgiveness, power, grace, life. I'm going to pour this out on you. This, the best wine of all. And really all you have to do is share that with the people around you. That's, that's all you're called to do. Just share it with the people around you. And it's to be something of joy. So I want you to remember what Mary said, right? I was one way. Now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was, was him. I mean, this is not a, a, a theological treatise. This is not some great statement. It's, it's just the simplest kind of witness. This is what God's done in my life. And you can take that and frame it for yourself just by filling in those blanks, right? I was, but God, and now I am. That, that's all you need. That's, that's all you need to take that and share it. And to share it in joy. I, I, I don't understand why we in the church have gotten this habit where we come to church and say, oh, it's like it's drudgery. Oh, it's an obligation. Oh, it's a duty and a responsibility. Jesus says, it's a party. This should be a celebration. The groom has shown up. The bride's here. We're going to have a wedding. And grace is going to be poured out. How is it that we have forgotten this? I remember doing a baptism a few years ago out on Lake Travis, and we used a Bob and Lorraine Mossman's property out there in Valente, and uh, 
off the back of their, their lot. It went down to the lake, and there were some stone steps in the water. And so uh, we had some folks that wanted to be baptized, you know, by immersion in the lake. And we went out there, and we, and we did the immersion, and we came back up. And then we had a party because this was something to celebrate. And they were just aglow with joy. That's, that's what this wedding is about. That's what this miracle is about. And it points to the party that occurs in the resurrection. That Christ is going to overcome death and be back together with us. And there's going to be this wonderful reunion and this joyful sharing of the grace of God and the life of God. Now, I, I know, you know we have questions about all this and people will think about it and you'll wrestle with it and I get all these wonderful questions like you know can I keep my faith to myself or do I have to share it with others really have you ever been to a wedding where somebody said oh do I have to let people know <laughs> really no we, we announce it we tell people we have celebrations we take pictures we do why, why are we so reluctant to share this joy in our lives and, and, and do I have to talk about Jesus, or can I just love people? Well, you can just love people, but they won't know that you're doing it because of Jesus, right? If you're going to share the wine, you're going to have to talk about Jesus when you love them. It's a both and. And, and maybe you get hung up in the technicalities, you know, like, how can I be a witness for Jesus without being annoying or turning off people? And, and that's, you know, people get into that. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're annoying or turning them off, you're probably not conveying the joy of the wedding party. Because I haven't known too many people who don't have a great time at a wedding. Maybe, maybe it's just that we've lost the joy. I mean, this, this is the first miracle through which he revealed his glory. And, and it wasn't just that he turned water into wine, but he points to the resurrection and says, now it starts. And that's where it ends. And you're invited, you're invited to come to the feast. You're invited to have the best wine ever and to share that with the people you love. You heard an announcement at the beginning of the service about Alpha coming up. One of the things Alpha can do is give you a place to talk this through with people. So I'm going to show you a little short video clip that's uh, a promo for Alpha uh, that talks about you know, how it is that we, we can open those doors to have those kinds of interactions with the people around us. Perfect. Yes. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbor we pass by every day outside our homes. That coworker we see at the office five days a week. Or those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it'll cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call, to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. 
Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith. Because when it's hard to find the moment, or the words, or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? So my friends, you've been invited to the party. And who else will you invite to come share the best wine ever? Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks that you invite us into this extravagant love where you pour out the best wine ever yourself to share with us and to share with the world. So fill us with joy, fill us with love, fill us with grace that overflows from us and that we just have to share. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.